Yeah, heavy metal. Pantera. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. They started out as a nondescript glam band, but went on to become one of the top heavy metal bands of all time. Drug abuse eventually led to the end of the band, and even greater tragedy struck the members afterwards. But they made their place in music history. Today, we're talking about the original Cowboys from Hell, Pantera. But first, what's your favorite Pantera song? Um, I'm going to say uh, Cemetery Gates off the Cowboys from Hell album. Um, it's the only Pantera song I actually bought uh, specifically because I liked it. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with that one. It's got a really good riff that I enjoy a lot. Well, I already said Cowboys from Hell in the intro, but I'm just going to say Cowboys from Hell because that song is its catchy, it's uh, loud, proud, and gosh darn it just says Texas to me. Uh, well, I, my favorite is Cowboys from Hell also, but um, I'm going to go with I'm Broken, which is pre-dadgum heavy song. It's pretty awesome. It's off of one of their later albums. They did a pretty sweet cover of Planet Caravan, too. Hey. Hey, hey. Though it took some time for the band to find their sound, Texas thrash metal band Pantera's music eventually became unmistakable. Their popularity in the early 1990s was a major part of a new era in American heavy metal music, bringing the sound back into the mainstream of pop music. From the point they defined their sound, the band's rise was meteoric, and they were legitimate claimants to the title of Kings of Heavy Metal. Their fall from lofty throne came all too soon. Pantera was founded in Arlington, which is one of the many cities in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex, by the Abbott Brothers, drummer Vinnie Paul and lead guitarist Daryl. This was a time when glam rock ruled the airwaves. On rhythm guitar was Terry Glaze. On rhythm guitar was Terry Glaze, who was the only other official original member. Now, these three were joined by singer Donnie Hart and bassist Tommy D. Bradford, although they were considered unofficial members. The band's original name was Pantera's Metal Magic, and Daryl went by the name Diamond. The band shortened the name to Pantera in 1982, partially because Pantera's Metal Magic is a real mouthful, and partly to settle an argument over the name by the band members, because obviously only one guy liked the name. Uh, not everybody else did. Now Hart left the band, and Terry Glaze took over as lead vocalist. Soon after that, he stopped playing guitar entirely to focus on singing, which left Daryl as the only guitarist. Later that year, Tommy Bradford left the band, and he was replaced by Rex Brown, who became known as Rex Rocker. Pantera was a local favorite. Uh, its tours at the time never really took them further than Oklahoma and Louisiana. They were popular enough to serve as openers for popular glam metal bands like Striper, Dokken, and Quiet Riot. These bands, in return, promoted Pantera's first album, titled Metal Magic, which was released on their own label in 1983 and was produced by the Abbott Brothers' father, Jerry. Jerry continued in the role of producer for their next three albums. The band released their second studio album, Projects in the Jungle, in 1984, which was still on their Metal Magic label. Their third album, I Am the Night, was released in 1985. Both albums were heavier than their glam background, though certainly not as heavy as their sound would eventually become. 
Terry Glaze began going by Terrence Lee when these albums were released. Videos for tracks from each album, All Over Tonight and Hot and Heavy, were made. Now, I think it goes without saying, we, we're assuming that people know what heavy metal is, and we're assuming that people know what glam metal is. But just to let you know, glam metal is heavy metal with lots and lots of spandex and makeup. Think, uh, think early 80s MTV uh, Motley Crue or something like that. And that's the kind of sound and look that Pantera had at the time. Delightful. And, and lots of hairspray. Lots and lots of hairspray. Bring on the Aquanet. <laughs> Pantera's steadily harder style was influenced by the release of such thrash metal albums as Metallica's Master of Puppets, Slayer's Rain and Blood, Anthrax Among the Living, and Megadeth's Peace Sells, But Who's Buying? As their sound grew harder, Terrence Lee's glam vocals no longer fit the band, and he and the other members of Pantera parted ways, leaving them to find a replacement singer. Rick Mathiasen, who also performed in Steel Prophet and Angel Steel, uh, and also Dave Peacock and Matt Lamore, had all acted as temporary vocalists until late 1986. It was then that the band discovered New Orleans native Phil Anselmo. Now, he'd previously sung with the group Sam Haim and Razor White. And Selma was a great fit, and he got along swimmingly with the other members of the band. Just love these names, and they're going to get greater as we go. Sam <laughs> Sam Yeah. Yeah. Uh, think, think, a, think a denim jacket with lots of patches on it. That's, that's where we're starting to head towards. And Selma's addition cemented Pantera's transformation into their harder sound. And Selma wasn't really a glam kind of guy. He was... He still was a little bit, but he was moving away from that. Now, their 1988 album was actually named Power Metal. It was still released on the Metal Magic label, but it was a dramatic change from their previous album, and it had a mix of 80s hard rock and thrash metal. Pantera was still using their glam metal image, uh, and they began to reconsider it, though, after this album came out. Now, referring to the band's spandex outfits, Vinnie Paul remarked at the band meeting that Quote, these magic clothes don't play music. We do. Let's just go out there and be comfortable. Jeans, T-shirt, whatever, and see where it goes. And I'm sure that quote is also cleaned up quite a bit. In later years, they all but ignored their independent releases, including power metal, as they embraced the new heavier image to go on with their developing groove metal sound. And this was more of a melodic type of hard heavy metal, if that actually makes any sense to anyone listening. <laughs> Pantera actually almost ended right there. Shortly after Power Metal was released, Diamond Daryl auditioned to fill the vacant guitarist slot in the band Megadeth and was actually offered that job. He'd only take the job if his brother, Vinnie Paul, could go with him. Since they already had a drummer, Chuck Baylor, Megadeth took a pass and Marty Friedman took the guitarist space instead of Daryl. The brothers refocused their attention on Pantera. In 1989, Walter O'Brien, with Concrete Management, became their manager and remained with them until they broke up years later. After being turned down numerous times by labels, the band's break finally came after Hurricane Hugo stranded ATCO representatives Mark Ross and Stevenson Eugenio in Texas. Ross and Eugenio's boss, Derek Schulman, was interested in signing Pantera and asked them to go check him out. Ross was so impressed by their performance that he called Shulman that night to suggest they be signed. Atco Records executives agreed, and the band recorded their first major label album at Pantigo Studios in Arlington at the end of 1989. This album was released on July 24, 1990, 
including their most famous song, the titular Cowboys from Hell. Noted engineer and heavy metal record producer Terry Date produced the album along with Pantera themselves, and this was heavier than any of their previous albums. Date had an impressive client list and produced albums for Soundgarden, White Zombie, Limp Bizkit, Slipknot, and the Deftones. He even produced Sir Mix-a-Lot's Swass album. It's the one with the My Posse's on Broadway, not the one with Baby's Got Back. And for the deep cuts, check out Buttermilk Biscuits. Yuck, yuck. Because <laughs> <laughs> that song is awesome. Yeah. The band completely ditched their glam metal influences for mid-tempo thrash metal, calling it Power Groove. Anselmo was still influenced by Rob Halford's vocals, but he adopted a more abrasive delivery style. Daryl's more complex guitar work and Vinnie Paul's faster drumming just added to the sound. The band and many of their fans consider Cowboys from Hell to be Pantera's official debut. Pantera began a tour also titled Cowboys from Hell with other noted thrash metal acts Exodus and Suicidal Tendencies. In 1991, famed metal singer Rob Halford of the band Judas Priest performed with Pantera on stage, and they opened for Judas Priest at their first show in Europe. They also opened for Fate's Warning, Prong, Mind Over Four, and Morbid Angel, and they co-headlined a tour with Wrathchild America. Pantera crossed the Atlantic again in September to play the Monsters in Moscow show, which also included Legends, ACDC, and Metallica. The band played in front of an audience of over 500,000 to celebrate Russia's new freedom to perform heavy metal rock. Yeah, heavy metal. Pantera. The fall of communism resulted in really loud music being played at Moscow's Red Square. Now, the band did not abandon their roots after their international success. They continued to perform at various Dallas venues, including the basement, which was also the location for their video for Cowboys from Hell. Despite their strenuous touring schedule, Pantera was still able to get into the studio. In February of 1992, they released their sixth album, vulgar display of power. The band showed that they had fully embraced their new hardcore style, and vulgar display of power was even heavier in tone than Cowboys from Hell. Anselmo abandoned his power metal style falsetto vocals entirely, and Diamond Daryl's guitar work became heavier to match. This move to a heavier sound, ironically, led to one of their most notable songs being a ballad. While this love is not exactly a love song, it's more of a haunting tune interspersed with bursts of speed and fury. Vulgar Display was immediately popular and entered the American charts at number 44, with a bullet. Several singles from the album, including This Love, received radio airplay, and they actually got their videos played on MTV. That's a big deal in 1992, y'all. The band was soon <laughs> in motion and going back on the road again. They performed for the first time in Japan in 1992 and then went to Italy to participate in the Monsters of Rock Festival, which was co-headlined by Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath. Around the same time, they put the final nail in the coffin of their glam origins, and Rex Brown dropped his stage name of Rex Rocker, while Diamond Daryl took the name that he would make a byword for phenomenal guitar playing. Dimebag Daryl. Vulgar Display of Power came at a time when grunge was at its height, and the album, though, was produced by Terry Date, who'd also worked with noted grunge acts Soundgarden, Screaming Trees, and Mother Love Bone, and other seattle sounding groups. Now, when he was asked if he was afraid that this had influenced Pantera's sound for the album, Vinny replied, 
Texas has a great music scene, but it's very unique and diversified. Every band that has come out of Texas that you know of, King's X, Stevie Ray Vaughan, ZZ Top, Pantera, they all have a distinctive sound about them. Whereas the bands from Seattle tend to sound like bands from Seattle. And the bands from L.A. sound like L.A. bands. That's the cool thing about Texas, is everything kind of has their own feel for what they're doing. Pantera's 1994 album, Far Beyond Driven, debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 in America, and on the Australian charts as well. The first single from the album got them a Grammy nomination for Best Metal Performance. Driven continued with the groove metal style, but went even further into the extreme end than the band's previous albums. The original artwork for the album, a drill bit impaling an anus, was banned for some reason, and the album was re-released with a skull being impaled instead. Panther once more went on the road touring South America and joining yet another Monsters of Rock show. On June 4th at that show, the Abbots got into a scuffle with journalists from a music magazine because of unflattering cartoons the magazine had published of Vinnie Paul. That June would be a violent month for Pantera. Anselmo was charged with assault after he hit a security guard who had prevented fans from getting on stage at an earlier show. Anselmo was was released the next day on $5,000 bail. He eventually apologized in court of May of 1995 and pled guilty to attempted assault. He was sentenced to 100 hours of community service. In the meantime, Pantera continued to tour, both in the UK and in the United States, where they opened for prong. And some began behaving strangely, and he distanced himself from the rest of the band when they were on the road in 1995. The rest of the band assumed that their rise to the fame had gotten to Anselmo, but the singer claimed that back pain from years of intense performances was the cause of his strange behavior. He originally attempted to self-medicate with alcohol, but this affected his performances and was responsible for putting some worry into the band. Anselmo's back problem could have been corrected with surgery, but there would have been a recovery period of a year or more, and he didn't want to take that much time away from the band. So instead, in a smart move, he's decided to start using heroin as a painkiller. That's an easy fix. That always, yeah, that always works for rock stars. And Selma's onstage remark became notorious because of his drug-addled state. At a Montreal concert, he declared that rap music advocates the killing of white people, and he was accused of being a racist. I, I wonder why. Now, he denied these accusations and later apologized, making the excuse that he was drunk at the time. Despite his growing addiction and erratic behavior, Anselmo was busy this entire time. One of his side projects, a supergroup named Down, took off. The group consisted of Anselmo, three members of Crowbar, and Corrosion of Conformity guitarist Pepper Keenan. Down's first album was a success, but the members soon returned to their own bands, leaving the project inactive for several years. As further evidence of the growing distance between Anselmo and the rest of Pantera, The Great Southern Trend Kill, their next album, was recorded in a dramatically different fashion than their previous efforts. Most of the band recorded together in Dallas, but Anselmo recorded his vocals in Trent Reznor's studio in New Orleans. Drug abuse was actually a recurring theme in the lyrics, uh, fueled by what was going on in his life. Trend Kill is often considered Pantera's most overlooked album, and only Drag the Waters got a video and was included on the band's eventual greatest hits album. However, the song Floods received some attention as Daryl's solo on the song ranked number 15 on the Guitar World's list of 100 Greatest Guitar Solos. 
on July 13, 1996, Anselmo overdosed on heroin an hour after performing at a show celebrating their homecoming to Dallas. His heart had stopped for almost a full five minutes, and he was given a shot of adrenaline by paramedics and sent to the hospital. When he woke up, the nurse said, Welcome back to life. Oh, and you have overdosed on heroin. Commenting on the incident later and on the changes in the band's behavior, Vinnie Paul said, quote, Everybody knows the story. He wound up ODing. Everybody knows the story. He wound up ODing, and he was actually dead for five minutes. It was a hard lesson to learn for everybody, but it was a good lesson to learn. When we party, we party, but it ain't none of that cocaine and none of that crap. It's strictly what I consider recreational, where you wake up the next day, and you might have a little headache, and you continue doing what you do. Though Pantera remained together for several years following that incident, and were to release another album titled Reinventing the Steel, this was the beginning of the end. The Abbott brothers were shocked when they realized the reason for Anselmo's recent strange behavior and embarrassed by that behavior themselves. Anselmo apologized to his bandmates the night after the overdose and promised to get clean, but he relapsed two more times and was racked with guilt every time. Pantera's popularity was still high, though. And in July of 1997, Pantera would receive their first platinum album for Cowboys from Hell. Four months later, both Vulgar Display of Power and Far Beyond Driven went platinum as well. They also received their second and third Best Metal Performance Grammy nominations for Suicide Note Part 1 and Cemetery Gates. And that was in 97 and 98. Also in 97, they were on the main stage at OzFest along such metal luminaries as Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath, Marilyn Manson, Typo Negative, and Power Man 5000. In 98, they would play the UK OzFest tour, and that would have Black Sabbath, Ozzy, and also the Foo Fighters. Now, Anselmo was going off on his own more on this. Now, Anselmo was going off on his own more and more in this era, and he played guitars on Necrophagia's 1999 album Holocausto de la Mort, which is a wonderful name. Uh, he used the pseudonym Anton Crowley, which is a combination of the founder of the Church of Satan, Anton LaVey, and the wickedest man alive from the uh, late 19th and early 20th century, Aleister Crowley. He also joined black metal supergroup Ibon for one release, and again performed as Aleister, Cr- and again performed as Anton Crowley for the black metal band Viking Crown. Now, the rest of the band, Pantera, did not sit on their hands and sit on their rest on their laurels, but they formed a country metal crossover group with David Allen Coe named Rebel Meets Rebel. And I now have to go seek this out. Uh, yeah, I don't remember that. I don't that either. Exists. Yeah, but I want to hear it because nobody's more metal than David Allen Coe. Now, during the Dallas Stars Stanley Cup championship run in 1999, Pantera wrote and recorded a fight anthem for the team, which is still in use today. Vinny Paul is a huge hockey fan. Uh, and a big supporter of the Dallas Stars. And during that season, the band and the team became friends. And at a Stanley Cup party hosted by Vinnie Paul after the Stars won the famed championship, the cup was damaged when the center geek Carboneau tried to throw it from the balcony into the pool. And there is still a dent uh, where it fell short and hit the concrete. And it required repairs by NHL Commission Silversmiths. So, yeah, I remember that time when we won the Star in the Stanley Cup and. There was a lot of yeah. Pantera talk. Hey, hey, man, nobody, I think we've made it pretty clear at this point in the story, nobody can party like Pantera. Yeah. The true state of the band was revealed by their recording schedule. After putting out albums in back-to-back years, 
it took them until 1999, a gap of three years, to return to the studio and cut their final album, which we mentioned was Reinventing the Steel. Released in March of 2000, it included the song Revolution Is My Name, which became the band's fourth nomination for Best Metal Performance at the Grammys. In the year 2000, they also returned to Ozfest, playing the main stage along Ozzy, Godsmack, Static X, Methods of Mayhem, Incubus, P.O.D., Black Label Society, and Queens of the Stone Age. They had to cancel their tour in November, as Anselmo broke his ribs during a fall at his House of Shock, an annual Halloween event that was in its eighth year. Again, Pantera knows how to party. <laughs> so Pantera headlined their own festival, the Extreme Steel Tour, beginning in June of 2001. This tour occurred at the height of the rap metal fusion trend, but... There were no bands of that style booked on the bill. Quote, We will always do our thing, no matter what trends go on around us. That's why we've lasted 12 years at this level. We've outlasted all bands and phases to this point, and fully expect to outlast hip-hop rap metal, said Vinnie Paul to no one. <laughs> A tour in Europe the next year was cut short when 9-11 left the band stuck in Dublin, Ireland for six days because all flights were canceled. Although they didn't know it, the band had played its last show on August 28th at the Beast Feast Festival in Yokohama, Japan. And Selmo's activities on his side projects picked up once more. In March 2002, his supergroup, Down, released its second album. This one featured a face familiar to Pantera band. This one featured a face familiar to Pantera fans as Rex... This one featured a face familiar to Pantera fans as Rex Brown joined the band on bass. In May, Anselmo's band... Super Joint Ritual released their first album, and Semo's dedication to these side projects only added to the tension of the band. Vinnie Paul has claimed that Insemo told him he was going to take a year off in the wake of 9-11, but then he toured and recorded for his side projects instead of with Pantera. Insemo claims that taking a break from Pantera was a mutual thing for all the band members. The Abbots had enough and gave up on Pantera in 2003, the same year their Best Of compilation was released. According to them, this was largely due to the fact that they had not heard from Anselmo and assumed he had abandoned them, though he'd never officially left. The Abbots and Pantera crew members claimed they tried repeatedly to contact Anselmo, and he claimed they never even called him. The frustration on both sides led to a war of words through the heavy metal and music press. They weren't talking to each other, but both factions used the press to take shots at each other. An example of the venom in this dispute was a comment by Anselmo in the 2004 issue of Metal Hammer. Quote, Dimebag deserves to be beaten severely. He later said that the quote was taken out of context by the magazine and was meant to be a joke, but Vinnie Paul, who listened to the audio tapes of the interview, insisted that the tone was not in jest. Caught up in the middle of all this conflict was Rex Brown. You remember the bass player... You guys remember bands have bass players, <laughs> lonely poor yeah. bass players, <laughs> poor bass players, and the they typical bass player. The yeah, I know. And so typical of the average bass player, he remained neutral in all of this politics. He later said, "Quote: It was a bunch of he said she said nonsense that was going on, and I wasn't going to get in the middle of it." He's a very smart man. Pantera's continued popularity wasn't affected by all the turmoil, though, and they were still selling records even without making new ones. Vulgar Display of Power went double platinum, and The Great Southern Trend Kill went platinum in 2004. 
Yeah, Michael I Anthony. think that I think that Rex Brown should get together with Michael Anthony and uh, uh, John Paul Jones and uh, form a super bassist group. Oh my gosh, I'd love uh, to see a, a super... forgotten bassist. Don't a forget super... Jason Newstead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah Jason me. Newstead. Yeah, super a super metal bass band would be be yeah. intense. <laughs> uh. So with Pantera officially done, the Abbott Brothers went on to form a new band, Damage Plan. They released their first album in February of 2004. This band was a quick success, and the album sold 44,000 copies in the first week and over 100,000 within a year, which I believe is gold certification. But some fans felt that their music was just not as good as their work with Pantera. Tragedy struck on December 8, 2004, while Damage Plan was performing in Columbus, Ohio. During the first song of their set, a man named Nathan Gale came on stage, shot, and killed Dimebag Daryl. Gale killed three others and injured two before being shot and killed by Columbus police officers. In the aftermath of this incident, many theorized that Gale, who was reportedly schizophrenic, killed Dimebag because he was angry over Pantera's breakup and his role in it. There was never any support for this theory, however, and in interviews, his friends have suggested that Gale claimed Pantera had stolen songs he had written. Daryl's impact on heavy metal is perhaps best displayed by the reaction of some of his peers to his murder. Eddie Van Halen donated his famed black and yellow striped Charvel electric guitar to be buried with Abbott. He had previously asked for one, and Eddie originally agreed to make him a copy, but upon hearing of his death provided the original. Daryl and the guitar were buried in a kiss casket sent by Gene Simmons himself. Gene Simmons explained, quote, There were a limited number made, and I sent mine to the family of Dimebag Daryl. He requested in his will to be buried in a kiss casket, as he sort of learned his rock and roll roots by listening to us for some strange reason. Unfortunately, Abbott's death didn't heal the schism between the remaining members of the band. When Anselmo called after the murder, Daryl's girlfriend, Rita Haney, answered, and she said she would, quote, blow Anselmo's head off, end quote, if he attended the, if he attended the funeral. Not long after the death, Anselmo claims he received a message from Vinny, which reportedly, quote, went along the lines of, my day is coming. And even two years later, when he was asked by Crave Music if there was a chance of reconciliation with Anselmo, Vinnie Paul answered, absolutely not. That's it. As late as 2012, during an appearance on that metal show, Vinnie Paul said a Pantera reunion would only be possible if Daryl was standing was still alive, adding that, quote, some stones are better left unturned. Despite Daryl's untimely end and the end of the band, Pantera's legacy continues and remaining members have continued to work. Vinnie Paul collaborated with members of Mudvayne and Nothing Face to form Hell Yeah, and Anselmo and Brown have continued to work together with Down, but it's hard to imagine any of them will ever be anything other than the Cowboys from Hell. You know, um, I mentioned earlier that my favorite song was Cemetery Gates, and that that's the really the only one that I have in my my personal collection. But I'm, you know, I've heard their songs on the radio, saw them on MTV, and um, it's it's true. I mean, you hear a Pantera song, and it sounds like a Pantera song, and you can't say that about a lot of, um, or at least I don't think most people could say that about uh, heavy metal bands. Mm-hmm. Um, but Pantera definitely has a unique sound. Well, in a lot of ways, like a lot of the later bands like Korn and Limp Bizkit and even some of the rap metal groups that they were so disdainful of, but the new metal of the of the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, drew a lot of influence from Pantera because Pantera took the, the harder edge thrash sound 
with some of the the hardcore punk uh, sounds uh, and kind of made their own really hard hitting uh, um, aggressive sound. And that that aggressive sound that that really is the sound of Pantera really has come across in some of these later groups. So like you look at the group Drowning Pool, which is another Dallas band. Uh, that had some success and in the late 90s, and they really do sound a great deal like Pantera. And it's because they were heavily influenced by them. Well, the thing, I mean, like, you know, it's Texas rock. I mean, it's Texas metal. And, you know, they're, it's just in the, there's Texas right in the DNA, and uh, mm-hmm. they just did their own thing. And I think that's pretty great. And honestly, like, really fabulous musicians. Um, mm-hmm. I know that this music isn't probably everybody's cup of tea, but yeah. uh, you know everybody's heard Cowboys from Hell. I was tell I was talking earlier and I said that I I had a cassette of Cowboys from Hell and I think I wore that thing out uh, in my my car tape deck. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just a, it it is a group it is a band that you just turn all the way up the volume up as loud as you can get it blow your ears out when you're when you're 17 years old. Yeah. Um, I also remember um, when um, Daryl was uh, was killed. I uh, remember that when that was in the news and how tragic all of that was and how much it was in the, the local news here in Dallas. Pretty shocking. Well, and I think it was, you know, I mean, talk about somebody walks on stage and just blows the guy away. In yeah. The, in the first song of the show. Like, it was just, it, it didn't seem real you know it's like okay this is this can't be real like this didn't really happen somebody just doesn't go crazy and start shooting up a club even if it's like a metal club in ohio metal. <laughs> i do remember the uh the wonderful uh uh stanley cup story though there's a local uh local jock on the radio that uh named russ martin who's, who's repeatedly talked about that story yeah nobody knew how to party like pantera guys yeah, I think it's fortunate that they didn't wind up in Megadeth because I, I really don't think Vinnie Paul and uh, Daryl would have gotten along with Dave Mustaine for long. No. No, I think that, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes things don't happen for a reason. I think that uh, Pantera was supposed to be, you know, they were a transformational force, and I think a lot of people look up to them. And you just look at who they played with, all the things they've influenced, and uh, who they're still influencing today. Yeah, it, it's really pretty amazing though that they're basically two bands. I mean, they were, they were, they had a life before they made a radical transformation, and they don't like that early albums. Just they don't even they they completely abandoned them and didn't acknowledge them anymore. It was not part of their makeup at all. So so we've got I'm sure we've got a fan, at least one one hardcore metal fan out there that's like really excited about this episode. So this one's for you. Metal pull guy. out that denim jacket. Yeah, pull out that denim jacket and uh and your ripped jeans and your black t shirt and your, your wrist wrist uh wrist ba- wrist bracelet and Hey Texas rock on, has man. produced a lot of fantastic they they, they yeah. made the point when they talked about Stevie Ray Vaughan's Easy Top, Daryl Abbott. You look around at all the musicians coming out of Texas, they are very all very different and all very great. Go back and check out our two Texas music uh, episodes if you don't believe me. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We want to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or get yourself to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. 
You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. Big thanks to our good friend James Abendroth for helping us to research and write this episode. You can find him on Twitter at Blackguard Press or find his fiction work at blackguardpress.com. You love this show, so tell your friends and write a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. <laughs>